0: Chapter 21 Ninanaba Where Are You? Hashkehisnapa noticed Ninanaba was very weak. Knowing the soldiers expected everyone to walk, Hashkehisnapa asked to speak to the leader of the soldiers. Through the interpreters, he told the officer he wanted to carry his wife. The officer, knowing Hashkehisnapa as a Navajo leader, listened intently. The officer seemed surprised at the request. After some time, the officer agreed to allow Hachkeh to carry his wife. Are there other Navajo people who are sick? The officer asked the interpreter. In response to the interpreter's question, Hachkeh told the officer, Many of his older people were not capable of walking any farther. Tell him the young men can help the older people walk through this rough terrain. Turning to other soldiers, he said, We do not want to lose many people on this assignment. I am surprised they are still able to walk. Look at their feet. Some of them don't even have shoes. We still have a good 15 days before we arrive. At Fort Sumner, that's if we push them to walk 12 to 15 miles a day. 20 is a good day. Hashkeh Napa ran back to where his wife bravely sat. Gently, he reached under Ninanabat, stood her up and said, Hah, Here, I will just carry you on my back. Easily, Ninanabat slid onto his wide back and rested her head on his strong shoulder. Ya de la se estendo yish. Using a thin blanket they had received from the Mexican women, their youngest son helped his father cover his mother's lower body. He then covered her with a thick rug blanket, which held her close to her husband's back as if in a sling. Their son, Egonapa, then joined the rest of the men while keeping an eye on ba, who urged her siblings to stay behind the children and close to her. Egonapa and his father took turns carrying Nenanaba. The healthy men were encouraged by Hashkeh Yishnapa to carry the old, the sick, and the crippled. The soldiers were determined to arrive at Fort Sumner in fifteen days, From the time they left the banks of the Rio Grande, the nights were cold and they had to get as many prisoners to the fort as possible. These new soldiers were careless in their care for the people, and many elders had died since they crossed the great river. The new soldiers were very impatient. The Nabehuo people were rushed eastward toward a small village and back into the desert. When Ninanabat saw the little village, she was hopeful the village was their final destination. She asked her husband to allow her to walk. He set her gently down. Ninanabat became dizzy and weak after taking her first step. Dopinesh Ada shan Shishnahodita Bashin O Dazi Salin. I am not able to, my little one. I get dizzy and very weak. I am sorry. I have just become a heavy load, Ninanabat wailed. T'ado ba, nene, <inaudible> Don't feel bad about it. Nesh jilko edo sha, de <inaudible> If I carry you on my back, you will not have the chance to outrun me, joked Hashkehilnabat. <inaudible> All Nananabot had to say to her husband and son was, I just look into the back of your head as you both carry me on your back. I thought I was going to see places we are being forced to walk through. Her children smiled weakly. Their mother made a joke. Did this mean she was getting well? They were hopeful, but they knew their mother was very sick. Shima Shina Neshtolech, Ninanabat's youngest son said respectfully, Hagoshia, all right, my little one. A yo Anastas I am very heavy, Bat replied. Akoshima, it's all right, my mother. I used to bring logs home from the mountains that were larger than you. Ninanabat laughed a little nervous laugh as her husband lifted her up onto her son's back, then with her bottom in a sling made of a rug blanket and covered with a Mexican blanket, Egonapa began walking, putting one foot in front of the other. At the end of the day, the people were directed toward what resembled an immense corral. The soldiers' orders were to camp for the night. The evening was full of confusion. There were many other groups of Nabeho people camped there already. They had been rounded up from areas close to Dokooslid, the San Francisco Peaks. The groups eagerly greeted one another and openly cried when they met someone who belonged to the same clan they were from. Hashkeh Yisnaba greeted and spoke to many of the men, asking if they had seen his children. At his thorough description, the men sadly told him they had not seen his children. Meager meals and sad stories were shared. Around an enormous bonfire, the men sat and sang songs and told stories of their painful journey. Everyone had seen too much pain, torture, and sadness. When they spoke of home, their tears began to flow. Very little sleep was gained that night by the Nabeho people. With a heavy heart, Hashkeh returned to his wife, and never left the side of his ninanabag. She urged him to visit with the Nabehu men from other groups, saying, Why don't you go over to where the men are visiting? They probably have a lot to tell about. Ask about what it is like on our land. See what they have to say. Ninanapot said as she urged her husband to visit with the Nabeho people from Doko Oslid. e It is better that I stay here with you. I only think about you getting well. If I stay here near you, you won't get cold. The future is unknown. I sent our little one over there. We will see what he has to say when he comes back. (laughs) Hashkeh said, hoping he had convinced his Ninanaba that his place was near her. Hashkehishnabah and Nanabah sat on the ground, warmed by the small fire. Soon their youngest son came back to their camp, and Hashkehishnabah visited with his son until he noticed Nanabah had fallen asleep. He put out the fire and lay down near Ninanaba. In the morning, the two groups of Nabeho people were separated, counted, and issued rations, and then were driven apart into two different directions. Hashkeh Naba's group was ordered southward, and the other continued east. From mid-morning until night, the people were driven southward toward a small settlement, where the soldiers replenished their supply of water and bought a few supplies. once the procession was away from the small settlement, the people were allowed to rest for the night within two days. More people had died due to the cold, fatigue, loneliness, and dysentery. No one from Hasshkekhishhnah's group had been lost, but still he felt bad for the ones. Who had lost loved ones. He thought of his Ninanaba. She was fighting for her life. He was afraid that he could not continue if he lost his beautiful Ninanaba. He vowed he would do all he could to help her regain her health. He needed her, their children needed her, and her people needed her. Not wanting to wake Ninanaba. Ashkeh Yilnaba gently kissed her hair and the side of her face as he voiced a prayer to the creator asking for the return of Nanabat's health. The next day the soldier's path turned slightly eastward but still followed a southern trail. On the second day the Nabeho were directed eastward toward a mountain range. The mountains were covered with snow. The soldiers barked orders to camp at the base of the mountain. The soldiers worried that the sick, crippled, or old were going to slow them down as they climbed the mountain. The Nabehua people observed the mountain before them in fear. Hashkechishnapa worried about how they were all going to cross the mountain without losing more of his people. He knew the sick, crippled, and the old were shot to death or left by the roadside to die. Young children watched in horror as their grandparents limped to the side of the road. He remembered the old man begging the soldiers to slow down, but instead he was shot on the spot. These new soldiers did not care who witnessed the shootings. Ashkekhilnabba's people suffered more from mourning the deaths of their people than they did from lack of food, water, medicinal herbs, the cold days and nights, or lack of rest. Ashkehishnapa was proud that his people were stronger than many Nabeho who were led by other war or peace leaders. He always made sure the old people, the women, and the children were taken care of or fed first, before the men could stop to think of themselves. He also made sure the old people, the sick, were carried by the young men. Hashkeh also made sure everyone was given a cane to help them walk. Hashkeh people were in desperate need to have their spirits lifted. As they trudged along, someone shouted with excitement, pointing to the distant mountain range. They could see juniper trees in the distance. The thought of having juniper berries to eat was exciting. The thought of having the ashes of the burned branches to mix with the blue cornflower made their mouths water. Heshkeh spoke to the young men, urging them to steal away during the night to gather berries and branches. Nananabat's youngest son knew that the urgency in his father's voice stemmed from his mother's exhausted state. He further knew that if she had blue corn mush to eat, it would help heal her. Once they had settled down for the night, the people began to prepare for the cold wind that blew off from the mountain. The women sat around a warm fire, holding their children close while the men stood behind their women and sang songs. As usual, Hashkeh stayed near his ninanapa, keeping her warm and keeping her company. He sang to her and she listened. The soldiers camped close, keeping an eye on the people. Six young men stole away in the darkness, leaving the warmth of the fire and ran toward the mountain with the pale moonlight as their guide. Before the embers from the fire lost their bright glow, the young men were back, laden with bags of juniper berries and branches. Hashkeh knew in his heart that there was hope as his nostrils flared at the rich smell of the gut juniper. He looked into the faces of his people and saw the same reaction as his people sniffed the air, now pregnant with the sweet scent of the juniper. Hashkekhilnabah knew his Ninanaba would survive, and so would many of his people. The juice of the berries would heal their wounds. The ashes of the branches mixed with blue cornmeal would heal their aching stomach. Without waiting, the women made blue corn meal mush, blue corn bread, and applied the berry juice to their aching feet. Everyone was given a taste. Hushkeh eyes stung with tears as he watched his frail wife slowly eating the blue corn meal mush. Songs were sung and prayers were voiced for Nananabah and the others who were not well the people's spirits were lifted and they slept while Nananabha fell into a semi-conscious state. Hashkeh Yilnabha thought the juniper berry juice and the blue cornmeal mush and the blue bread would strengthen her, but it seemed to put her into a deep sleep. Hashke Yilnabha and his Nabehua people were forced to cross the dreaded mountain range it was not as difficult as was first thought ashke yeltna ba kept reminding his people where they were from telching black mesa as he said as he said adiye khaykotcho ego ndahonta depe late ndahonta and and ade keda wit ind e khata inosnesutna There, Black Mesa, it is extremely treacherous. It was much worse than here, but we lived there. Take heart, my people. When we have crossed the mountain, I will butcher several sheep for you. You will have mutton to eat. Your children will also have mutton to eat. Although the people were tired, sick, hungry, and thirsty, they trudged onward toward the summit of the mountain. They watched their kind leader and his youngest son, who without complaining carried Ninanaba on their back. The people wanted to show their kind leader that they were the strong people he encouraged them to be. The parents promised their children they would be able to rest when they reached their destination. Each parent promised their children they would warm up when they reached their destination. They promised their children and themselves they would be able to drink all the water they wanted when they reached their destination. They promised their children and themselves they would be able to eat mutton when they reached the summit. Every promise made each Nabeho stronger. Everyone pretended they were back on their beloved Tzilijin Black Mesa as they put one foot in front of the other as they climbed the mountain. The Nabeho people climbed the mountain and stood on the summit. Hashkehish Naba set Nenana down on the pile of rug blankets with his son's help. They looked down upon the land that stretched out before them. It was as flat as the rocks that they found in the river beds. Hachkechisnappa saw the kind of rock his mother had made wide, thick naneskad tortillas upon. There were mixed feelings among the people. They wanted to see their beautiful mesas that were of a burnt copper color. They wanted to see juniper trees dotting the landscape. They wanted to see a sea of sheep being herded across the plain. Where were the sagebrush? Where was their beautiful turquoise sky? The land was of a pale beige color. The entire sky from horizon to horizon was of a pale light blue color. Where were the wild horses that stir up high clouds of dust? Hashkeh Yilnapa lifted his eyes to the sky above the horizon. Even the sky does not seem to want to claim the land, he thought. He noticed there was an absence of color where the distant land and the sky met. As Hashkeh Yilnapa gazed down upon the landscape before them, he said quietly, The Creator must have run out of colors when He painted this land. Hashkehil he Napa held Ninanaba even tighter. He was glad his Ninanaba was not well enough to see this. She would have been bitterly disappointed. Instead, Ninanapa stirred quietly in his arms. Pashkekhilnapa could instantly feel his nabehu, people's hearts, sink. They seemed to think in unison, This land is not for us. There was an absence of life. The soldiers stood to the side of them and in the back of them. There was no place to run. Out of extreme disappointment, the Nabeho people's bodies jolted forward, and they half walked and half ran down the side of the mountain. At the base of the mountain they camped. Hashkeh kept his promise. He selected four sheep to butcher, but the people told him to wait until Nananabot could also eat mutton with them. The sheep were spared. Truthfully, the people felt as if their mouths were full of cotton. No one wanted to eat, sleep, or talk. The songs were buried deep within the men's chests. They saw the snow and the frost that covered the land behind them. It meant that the winter stories were to begin but the land was unwilling to hear the winter stories. After several prayers were voiced for the ones who were not well, the people began to wonder if their herbal medicine worked on this side of the great river. On the third night after coming off of the mountain, Ashkehillnapa made sure his beautiful Ninanapa was comfortable and warm. With only the embers from the fires keeping them warm, he looked up and saw the same constellations he had seen before they had crossed the great river. His eyes followed the milky way, and he remembered how Coyote had recklessly thrown the stars up into the sky. His thoughts were interrupted when, without warning, he felt a warm hand on his chest. Still thinking about Coyote, he reached up and felt his wife's hand clutching his loose buckskin shirt. His heart contracted. He turned toward her, expecting to see the breath that gives her life disappear before him. Like so many nights before, he murmured, "Shiyaje, Shiyaje, my little one, my little one. Ninanaba sighed loudly when she heard her husband's low, sensuous whisper. She had been with him all this time, but they had been at their home in Zilijin, Black Mesa. But where were they now? She thought in confusion as she saw the wide black sky looming over them. Hashkehishnaba eagerly placed both arms around his beautiful woman and held her tight. He held his woman as his gaze followed the constellations, sparkling white against the black sky as they marched toward the distant horizon. Nenana loved the feel of her husband's soft lips, kissing her face, her ears, her temples, and she loved the feel of his breath and her hair. Her body tingled, but she was very tired. It feels as if I do not have life in my body. It feels as if I am extremely fatigued, Ninanaba weakly explained to keep her husband from worrying more. Hashke held his wife close and told her they thought, that they were losing her, that she had become very sick, listless, and weak. Still partially in her semi-conscious state, she slipped in and out of sleep. Whenever she woke, she turned to her husband and told him how she went back to Tisajin, Black Mesa, when she was sick. She explained how being at home with her husband and children Helped her begin to heal. I was with all of you. I was with my children. We ate regularly, and we worked. When my children came back to me, I got better. Hashkeh Napa's heart ached as he held his woman in his arms. Hot tears burned his eyes and made their way down the side of his face, burning as they rolled into his Ninanapat's hair. He wanted to find his children and bring them back to his sweet Ninanapat. As the soft light of dawn began to creep into the eastern sky, Ashkeh quietly slipped away from the side of Nenonabot to offer prayers to the Creator, thanking Him for bringing His beautiful Nenonabot back to Him. Tears streamed down His face as the sky became brighter. The people's spirits were lifted once again. Their Nenonabot had survived. They asked their kind leader if they could butcher the sheep He had offered to them, Back up on the summit, and also at the base of the mountain. They looked back at the mountain they had descended four days ago. It seemed like years since they had left the summit. Their land was so far behind the mountain and across the great river. Even though his sheep were skinny from being driven so far, so quickly Hushkeh gladly offered... Five sheep and two goats to be butchered. The soldiers were content to let the people stop and eat since they were nearly a day and a half from Fort Sumner. The people told sad stories as they ate. Their leader, Hashkeh Yilnapa, was the main storyteller. The young women made the meat into jerky for the rest of their journey. nenanaba sat quietly, leaning against her son as they sat among the people. She watched her husband as he gestured, smiled, frowned, and changed expressions. She closed her eyes and heard his voice rise and fall with the telling of the winter story about Coyote and how he threw the stars up into the sky to create the milky Way. Her husband's eyes shone like stars from the reflection of the light from the fire. She was mesmerized by his face. He was not as young as he was in her dreams of the past few days, but he was just as handsome and sensuous. Her desire to be near him began to grow, but her weakened state kept sleep close to her eyes. She asked her son to help her lie down. With his mother settled on her thick bed of rugs and thick hides, Egonapa stayed by her side, thanking the Creator for bringing his mother back to them. He could not stand to watch his father faithfully pick up his wife and carry her on his back effortlessly for miles. He knew his father carried his mother because he did not want the soldiers to kill her like they had so many Nabeho who were weak and sick. He listened as his father told another story about Coyote. He admired his father and loved his mother. Tears that were dammed up for days and weeks spilled out of his eyes and rolled down his cheeks, down his neck, and onto his shirt. It was a cleansing that was way overdue. He did not try stopping the tears. In the night air, Egonapa told his mother that his sister's faces had clearly returned to his memory. His brother's voice seemed to stir the night air, he reported. Tears, memories of his siblings, happiness for his mother's return, sadness over the purpose of their journey— and admiration for his father kept the tears coming in an even stream. I will love only one woman the way my father has loved only one woman, he silently vowed as he placed another red blanket over his mother. His shirt was soaked with tears. His father joined him at the side of his mother. His father reached out a hand to him, pulled him up, grabbed him, and hugged him tightly through tears. Hashkeh Yilnapa did not have to ask why his son's shirt was all wet. He knew it was wet from tears of love. Ninanabat's body trembled from the cold as she felt Hashkeh Yilnapa lie down next to her. She asked her husband who had taken care of their adopted children, she asked him about the weather and their food supply. She even asked him if they had crossed any more rivers while she had been sick. He patiently answered her many questions. When her questions quieted down, Ashkeh quietly whispered into her ear, Ikhosh, Shiazheh, go to sleep, my little one. Hanli, Rest ne. Tomorrow we will move on again. Ninanabat turned towards her husband, instantly becoming aware of his soft mound, nudging her gently. She knew her husband was tired, but she turned her face up toward him and allowed him to kiss her gently on the mouth as his tongue met hers in a slow, soft kiss. In one another's arms they fell into a light sleep. Ninanabat's dreams were full of her children and her husband. She awoke many times to thank the Creator for bringing her children back to her to heal her. Even if it was only in her dreams that they returned to her, they were still near her. The people began to stir as the early morning sun warmed up the air. They began to bundle their belongings. Ashkeh Yisnaba carried Ninanaba behind some nearby bushes so she could relieve herself. She squatted wondering how her husband cared for her needs when she was in a semi-conscious state. Still too embarrassed to ask him, she put her head in her hands and shut her eyes tight as if to make the question disappear. Back among the people, Hashkehilnapa turned to Ninanapa and said, Hako Neshchishayajuk, come here, let me carry you on my back, my little one. Still embarrassed, Ninanapa allowed her son to lift her up onto her husband's wide back. With her buttocks in a sling, Hashkehilnapa stood up tall and encouraged his people to walk, reminding them that according to the soldiers, their walking will be over soon. The Nabehua people stood up straight like their leader and allowed their footsteps to follow their gaze upon the eastern horizon. The procession slowly made its way in a southeastern direction. In the late evening, the soldiers stopped for the night and ordered the men to line up for counting and rations. The men lazily made their way to the ration wagon. As usual, Bot told her husband to throw away the food that belonged to the enemy. Too many people had become sick from eating their food, she reminded him. Their meager meal was composed of jerky, goat's milk, and juniper berries. Although very hungry, Bot was cautious. She knew she had very little to eat the past few days. The jerky dipped in warm goat's milk was so tasty. She and their adopted baby ate slowly. They finished their meal just as the night sky moved into place above them. Tashkehishnapa was content to hold his ninanapa. He slept more easily knowing she was gaining strength, but he vowed not to let her walk. He noticed that she had fallen asleep immediately. He knew she was exhausted. Before dawn, the soldiers were blowing on the rude bugle again. They wanted to get to the fort before evening, so rushing the people was their main concern. Before the sun rose, the people were on their way once again, being forced by the soldiers to walk toward the southern direction. Today, it seemed the soldiers were angry. They whipped at the heels of the people to hurry them along. No one was killed, but the people cried out from exhaustion. Today, Egonapa carried his mother to allow his father to rest. His mother seemed to have gained weight over the past two days. He teased his mother by saying that if she ate any more, her feet would be dragging on the ground. Nenanabot laughed and hung on to her youngest son's wide, strong back. It did not matter how far they had walked since the morning. The Nabeho saw a colorless landscape stretched out before them as they looked down into the valley from the top of the wide hill. Since leaving the mountain with snow, the landscape had not changed color or shape. The color of the sky also remained the same throughout the days where there was an absence of color. Suddenly, as if beckoned to, Nananabat looked toward the southern sky and shuddered. Weakly, she pointed toward the clouds and the sky. The clouds had just been painted in the sky by the Creator, but something was wrong. The clouds were crying, Eerily, it seemed as if the tears from the clouds had made the paint run. From some distant place, the nabe could hear the sounds of the people crying, and they were deafening. The cries matched the many smudges in the sky that were made by the clouds, which seemed to bear tears that were freely flowing. Ninanabot began to shiver, Her arms became weak. She reached out and clumsily clutched at her husband's buckskin shirt sleeve as she held onto her son's neck with the other arm. She looked back. She saw their adopted children with big pools of tears in their eyes. Behind them were the people her husband was the leader of. They, too, wore faces of pain, suffering, and disappointment. She looked at her husband and saw the weight of the welfare of his people bearing down on his wide shoulders, making them sharply curve forward. The soldiers' whips found the ankles and calves of the people, forcing them out of their state of shock. As they came over a steep rise, they heard the sound of many voices crying in confusion. Nenanapat looked into the face of her husband to find answers that were not there. She asked her son not to let her fall down as he slowly lowered her to the ground. She stood wobbling between the two men. There was no mistake. They did hear people crying. The soldiers barked orders, whipped at the ankles of the people, and drove them down the rolling slope closer to the sounds of people crying. Ninanaba and Hashkehnapa did not want their people to go any farther, but the soldiers were impatient, mean, and tired. They had arrived at their destination. Hashkehnapa helped to lower Ninanaba to the ground. Egonapa flexed his muscles and smiled at his mother. He looked at her frail frame and said, I can still carry you a long ways, my mother. Ninanabat looked at her son's strong frame and said, I can still carry you a long ways, my mother. Thank you for carrying me on your back because you did not want me to walk. Now I can walk on my own. I will hold on to your hands to steady myself. Ninanaba was not prepared for what was ahead of her. Fort Sumner had a 40-square-mile reservation that surrounded the fort. The land had been set aside for the Navajo people. Hashkehiknapa and his people viewed the crude camps the people lived in as they were forced to walk further toward the sounds of hundreds of people crying. Nabehua people who had been forced to walk to Fort Sumner at an earlier time eagerly searched the faces of Hashkehiknapa and his people. Asking them where they were from, the soldiers whipped at the questioning faces to keep them at a distance. Fear rose in the hearts of the new arrivals. Hushkeh Yeshnabah asked Nanabah, "Dat deish bin yehig as do thohen lenegi do chin. Do an ta has an dog as etan shets den yehigi do tiro ni bi tradikhay?" That je on is this what we survived the cold, a raging river, hunger, illness, and the near death of my wife for? did we suffer through so much just to come here and become prisoners of war? Hakethnapa and his youngest son looked at one another. At the same time, they placed their arms around Ninanabah to steady her. Hashkekhilnabah was confused. This was supposed to be a land that had plenty of water, and yet the people staring back at them had dirty faces, dirty hair, dirty feet, and dirty children. This was supposed to be a land where it was warm, and yet the cold winds that became allies of the soldiers were whipping at the Nabehu people's faces trying to blow their rug blankets off of their bodies. This was supposed to be a land where his Nabehu people could be prosperous. There was not one sign of prosperity. The Nabehu leaders had been lied to. No one could put a number on the severity of the lies Hashkeh Yishnapa and other Nabeho leaders had been told. The Bistahichigani soldiers must really have a strong hatred for the Naubehua people, but Hashkeh Napa could not figure out why they carried the hatred. Whenever he gave his word, he kept it. Hashkeh could barely stand up straight. The weight of the hatred was almost too great a burden to carry. No, someone lied, a very hateful, destructive lie. Hashkeh felt bitterly ashamed. How could he expect his people to stay here? He looked at his Nananaba and saw how frail she looked, then squared his shoulders and vowed to be strong for his wife, his children, and his people.